0: John 14, page 1068. As we continue our study of the Gospel of John. And let me read verses 15 to 27. We looked at these verses two weeks ago, but we only looked at part of them. I want to kind of close the loop here and look at the other part of these verses that we, we passed over. John 14, verses 15 to 27. It's on page 10, or 1068. Jesus said, If you love me, You will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The New Testament gives many names to Jesus. And at Christmas, we focus in on one of those names in particular. It's the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, it's kind of like Jesus' Christmas name. It means God with us. And of course, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, is that God has come to be with us. We celebrate what we call the incarnation, the fact that God has become incarnate. He's taken on flesh, that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became a human being named Jesus, so that in a very literal, physical sense, God was with us. And so we sing about Emmanuel, and we sing about Emmanuel coming this time of year, And yet, isn't it just a little ironic that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and yet he's not with us? And we sing about Emmanuel, and we worship Emmanuel, but Emmanuel's not here. Uh, We've been exploring this uh, sort of mystery, I think, for the last couple Sundays now, as we've been here in John chapter 13 to 17, And, and in John chapters 13 to 17, we find Jesus about to go to the cross. It's the night before the crucifixion, uh, and he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's preparing his disciples for his departure, and he's really trying to orient them to what it's going to mean to have a relationship with him in his absence, what it's going to mean to be a disciple of Emmanuel, God with us, when he's not with us. And so I've suggested uh, that these chapters are so pertinent to us, they're so helpful to us, as Christians, because that's the state of affairs in which we live. We, we follow Jesus. We love Jesus. We're his disciples. But he's not here. So what does that look like? How do you have a relationship with him in his absence? And uh, we answered that question a little bit two Sundays ago when we looked at our side of the relationship. Because you know, every relationship is a two-way street. To have a relationship implies a, a duality and, and an exchange between two parties. And and we talked about our part of the relationship two Sundays ago. Do you remember when we studied verse 15, John fourteen fifteen? If you love me, you will obey what I command. And so we saw that to have a relationship with Jesus in his absence and when he's present means that if we really love him, if we have affection for him, if our hearts are committed to him, that won't just be empty sentimentality, but it will overflow in obedience to his words. So love produces obedience. That's how we relate to him when he's not here. We keep his words. But I want to explore the other side of the relationship this morning and look at these verses again because Christ also relates to us in his absence. But what does that look like? What's his part of of this interchange between us, this loving relationship? And it's really right there in verse 16. So if you look down at verse 16 right after the, the verse I just read. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So we have a continuing relationship with Christ in his absence because Jesus and the Father are going to send. This other character named the Counselor. Now, now who is the Counselor? So the Counselor is the one through whom we're going to continue to have a connection to Christ. Who is it? Well, you you probably can guess, but let's not guess. Look down at verse 26. The Counselor, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the counselor is the third person of the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit. Here we have another wonderful Trinitarian moment in John. There's so many of these in the Gospel of John. John is just filled with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, not three gods, one God in three persons, a profound mystery beyond my ability to really understand it or explain it completely to you. Uh, but, but this is God we're talking about. No wonder I can't understand it. You know, trying to explain the Trinity to me is like trying to explain algebra to my dog. You know, it's, it's like I, I just don't quite, I don't have the, the capacity to grasp all that God is and what makes God God. So, so there it is. And, and it appears that in the absence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there, the same God, and yet he's there with us. And so it's the Holy Spirit who continues this relationship. Now, I know when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we Baptists get a little nervous because we are Baptists. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Bible. I mean, you know, we, we have a, the, our Trinity, but you start talking about the Holy Spirit, we kind of go, well, you know, our charismatic Pentecostal brothers and sisters, if you're here, we love you, but you, you freak us out just a little bit because we, <laughs> we, you know, we're Baptists. We don't know what to do with that. It's like, if I start, oh, wait a minute, if we start talking about the Holy Spirit, am I going to have to become like, Jesus? You know, am I going to have to go there? Like, you know, not only are we Baptists, I mean, we're, some of us are New Englanders, you know, and we just, we don't do that. Like, you know, you can tell when New Englanders are getting emotional, it looks like this, it's like, you know, and that's it. I mean, so <laughs> we're keeping under control. So so we're a little nervous about all this Holy Spirit talk. What? But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is not the possession of any denomination. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so to know Jesus, you have to know the Holy Spirit. You can't have a relationship with Jesus if you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not sort of an add-on for Christians who want to kick it up a notch. You know, it's like, if, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus, because it's one God. It's not like three gods. Remember, it's one God in three persons. And so they're all a, a, a unity within a, a plurality within God. So, so you have to have the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't know Jesus. So, so, so this all fits together. So regardless of, of where you're coming from, If we want to know Christ and have a relationship with him, we have to understand the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do this morning is look at these verses and just make a few observations, uh, kind of uh, an introduction to the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in our life? What are we really talking about? So I'd like to make from these verses four brief observations about the Holy Spirit and, and try to connect it to our lives. So here's the first one, observation number one in this question about who is the Holy Spirit. Number one is, the Holy Spirit is the counselor. So there it is, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. It's kind of a funny name for the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The counselor? What is that? Why why is it called the counselor? Well, it's a funny word in Greek, too. It's a word that doesn't appear very much in the Bible. Uh, it's, It's the word parakletos. Sometimes you've heard it called the paraclete. You ever heard the Holy Spirit called the paraclete? That's just taking the Greek word parakletos and kind of english it a little bit, and out comes paraclete. But, but it's, uh, you know, what's a paraclete? Well, I mean, if you break that Greek word down in a very kind of wooden, literal way, it means someone who's called alongside. Para means to be like along or beside, and kletos means to be summoned or called. So it's, it's someone who's called alongside next to you. In Greek, it has a, the, the word has some courtroom connotations, some legal connotations. Uh, so, so you have a counselor who comes next to you in court and stands with you. Probably why you have the word counselor here in the New International Version. Not a counselor like a camp counselor, but a counselor like legal counsel. Like someone who's there to stand with you and to support you in, in a difficult situation. Uh, but but it's, more, it's not just kind of like a lawyer. I mean, it's broader than that. It's a helper an encourager, a supplier, a provider, a strengthener. And so I think that's why when you look at different English translations of this word, you get lots of different English renderings because it's hard to capture everything that this Greek word means in one simple English word. You know, translation isn't always a one-to-one kind of thing. Sometimes a word in Greek has a lot of meaning and, and there's no one word in English that has all the same meanings. So I think that's why you have all these different words. So you have counselor here. Maybe some of your translations have helper. That's a good translation. He's a helper. Maybe some of you like the King James Bible, the old King Jimmy. The comforter. The comforter is what it says in the King James but remember, when it says comforter in the King James, you know, we're talking Elizabethan sense of comforter, not like, you know, big puffy blanket, you know, with chamomile tea and lifetime TV, and oh, I'm so comfortable, you know. That's not what we're talking about. When it's comforter, it's the old Elizabethan sense of comfort, like giving comfort to soldiers, giving them ammunition and weapons and food and equipment so they can go out and do the battle. It's, it's a a supplying and an arming and a strengthening. It's a, a stronger word than just kind of comfort in a sort of an emotional sense. And, uh, you know, if, if I had to pick one word, if, if I had to write the, the new Jeremy version, the NJV, and I had to translate this word today and had to be forced to pick one English word, I think I, I've seen this in a few other translations. The word I may pick today is the advocate. Um, I, I kind of like that for two reasons. Um, not that it's perfect. You know, there's no perfect English word, but I'd pick the advocate, and here's why. It keeps the legal imagery that stays is behind the word. It keeps that, you know, an advocate in court is, is your lawyer. They advocate for you. But also, I think the way people use the word advocate today, right now in, in American English, you, you know, we use that word in the sense of helping somebody who's weak and in need of advocacy, You know, we say this all the time. You've got to advocate for yourself. You need to advocate for the system. But part of living in America today is that we live under the conditions of advanced modernity, which means that that, that the world has been so organized and rationalized. We live under and within enormously complex bureaucracies. That are hard for us to understand. It's it's one of the kind of puzzling, disorienting things about life in the modern world is that so much of life is structured by these enormous bureaucracies. So it's not just like I'm sick, I go to the doctor and he helps me. It's managed care. It's this huge thing that, that even doctors and nurses and even people in the field, you know, can't get their arms around. There's government bureaucracies. They're, they're just huge. And so when you're in that kind of situation and you have to kind of go to bat for yourself, the pressures and forces at work are so complex. And people say, look, you need someone to advocate for you. You know, and you're like, I can't. I'm sick. I'm in the hospital. Well, you need to get an advocate. You need someone to come alongside you when you're weak and sick and and stand up for you and say, hey, hey, wait a minute. And it's not that doctors and nurses are uncaring, but we're all just kind of part of this, this thing that's bigger than anybody. And you need an advocate in those situations. And I, I think about that, and I'm like, man, that's, that's where I'm at as a Christian. You know, I've been saved by grace, but I'm still, I'm still recovering as a Christian. I'm weak. I'm not as strong as I'd like to be. I have grace. It's saving grace, but it's like it's still in its infancy. And as a Christian, I have this sense of still convalescing from the old life as, as God is working in my heart. Yeah, I love Jesus, but my love is so fickle, you know? My, my love for Jesus is like New England weather. It's like, yeah, it changes every minute. It just sometimes I'm loving him and I'm strong, and then the next minute I'm loving the world. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to love Jesus. And it just is always changing. And as a result, my obedience is so patchy and spotty and sketchy. It's kind of hit or miss And and so I'm trying to follow Christ. He he told me, if you love me, keep my commands, and I'm trying, but I find myself like those disciples in the Bible. You know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's so much in me that's still incomplete, and and I'm like a sick person in a hospital in some way who's getting better, but I need an advocate. I need someone beside me who's, who's helping me and strengthening me and speaking up for me and going to bat for me. And so Jesus says, well, that's that's who I'm going to send. I'm going to send to you the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the helper who's going to do that for you. Now, now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, let's put that question on pause. We'll answer that on the fourth observation. Uh, but, but I just want to move a little bit forward ahead now. So we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit actually helps us in our following of Christ in a little bit. But here's the second observation. So the first one is that he is the advocate. Here's the second. That he is another counselor. So there's the second one. He's the counselor. Number two, he's another counselor. Look again at verse 16. He will give you another counselor. What do you mean another paraclete? I thought there was just, I thought the Holy Spirit was the paraclete and he's the paraclete. No, he's another paraclete. You know, kids, if, if, you, uh, if, if you ask your parents for another cookie, have another cupcake. That kind of implies you already had one, right? It's so now you're saying, I want an additional one. So that you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. So there's more than one paraclete? Yes, there's two. Who's the other one? It's Jesus. He's the first paraclete. He's the first advocate. He's the first counselor, comforter, helper. He has come into the world to, to help us, and to meet us in our time of need, and now he's leaving, and he's sending in a, a, a substitute to, to take his place, and, and again, you know, uh, just speaking to the kids here, I know sometimes you guys are in school, and you get a substitute teacher, and sometimes that's really good, but a lot of times it's not so great, right, and you know, uh, I remember when I was in, in school, I had this one uh, teacher substitute, and he'd come in sometimes, and we, we joked about him, we called him Mr. Wispa. Because all he would do in class is he would hand out busy work and then he would yell at us if anyone talked, shh, whisper, whisper. And then, you know, he would just sit behind his desk and we'd do the busy work. And if anyone said anything, it would be shh, whisper, whisper. And that's all it was for like an hour. So he was Mr. Whisper. We'd walk into class like Mr. Whisper's here. The Holy Spirit is no Mr. Whisper. This is a substitute. This is another counselor is as good as Christ, because he is the spirit of Christ. But he is continuing the work of Christ because Christ is our first advocate, our first paraclete. Jesus came into the world to meet our needs. He came into the world to meet our deepest need of all, which is the forgiveness of our sins. You know, the greatest humanitarian crisis facing the world today is that the wrath of God is coming to this world. You know, we see evil in the world, and we're like, why doesn't God do anything? He will. And you need to be on the right side of that. Because we are all sinners under the judgment of God. And so God sent his son Jesus to bear our sins. He's taken our deepest need and met it. He's come to forgive us and to save us. And so Jesus is that advocate who's come to help us with with our sin and our, our need to be reconciled to God now he's sending the Holy Spirit. And this is the cool thing. It's, Jesus is still advocating for us. It's not like Jesus did his part to be our paraclete then was like, ooh, that was, I need a break. Hey, tag team, Holy Spirit, you're in. I'm going to go to heaven and chill out and then we'll switch. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is advocating. Jesus is still advocating for us. He's at the Father's right hand still arguing for us and pleading for us to strengthen us. Check this out. Put a bookmark here in John 14 and turn over a few pages later to 1 John chapter 2. It's on page 1207. 1 John chapter 2, page 1207. The word paraclete occurs five times in the Bible. It's a funny word. It only occurs five times. Four times it occurs in the Gospel of John where we're studying. And then it occurs one other time. It's right here in 1 John, which is a letter written by the same guy. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And here's where Paraclete applies. But now instead of applying it to the Holy Spirit, he applies it to Jesus. Look at 1 John 2, 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and I know no one here will sin. You're all Christians now. No one here ever struggles with sin. But you know, hypothetically, should you as Christians possibly struggle with sin? If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. You see that phrase, one who speaks to the Father in our defense? That's paraclete. He's the paraclete. He speaks to the Father in our defense. So he's there, verse 2, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. He's adequate for, the whole of, of crea- for all people. He's enough there. And so he's, he's there for us so that when I'm here on earth and I'm failing and I'm struggling and even though I'm a Christian and a, even a pastor and yet I don't act like a Christian, I don't act like a pastor, I'm not the godly father I should be or the godly husband, which happens unfortunately on a regular basis. And, and, and I think, God, you've got to be tired of me now. You know? at, at some point God's got to pull a, uh, uh, you know, who, who's, who's the guy with the crazy hair? You're fired. You know, that guy. It's one of these days God's going to do that for me. He's going to look at me and say, Jeremy, you're fired. Like, you, you know, you, I, I have enough of you as a disciple, Jeremy. That's enough. But it's not going to happen because I have an advocate in heaven, Jesus, my atoning sacrifice, who continues to speak for me in heaven. And so that when I once again, you, you know, fail in some way, when I once again act like the disciples in the New Testament, clueless and and disobedient and unbelieving, You know, Jesus is before the Father right now saying, Father, don't look at that. Look right here. Look right here. This one's mine. I've paid for him. And so instead of giving him judgment, send him more grace. More grace. I bought the grace with my blood. And so Father, I am advocating for him. Continue to send that grace. And so that grace comes through the Holy Spirit. Because God is for us. He's covenanted and Jesus is standing there as our advocate in heaven. And so that grace comes through the Holy Spirit. So that's why I'm saying the Holy Spirit is not some poor substitute. It is Christ's Spirit. It's another counselor who's continuing the work of the Son in our lives. It's it's one fabric, one work of God from the Father through the Son, through the Holy Spirit into our lives. So He's another counselor counselor. You actually have two paracletes working for you. And you need it. (laughs) So do I. We need the power of God in our lives. So, who is the Holy Spirit? He's our advocate. The Holy Spirit is, is also another advocate. He's there with Jesus. So his work is of the same fabric and the same purpose as Jesus. He's carrying on the work of Christ who's already meeting our needs and standing up for us, forgiving us our sins. Christ is already doing that and the Holy Spirit's carrying it on. Here's a third observation. It's that he is carrying on this work, and I love this, in us. Notice that. That's so good. Look at verse 17. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Christ has sent his Spirit not just to be near us or to be accessible to us, but actually in us. So the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is in you. It's it's dwelling in you. That's amazing, right? Now, I I feel a need to clarify something here, uh, to, to make something kind of really clear, because I'm afraid there's a possibility that we could misunderstand what Jesus is saying when he says the Holy Spirit will be in us. Uh, Because there's there's a cultural idea out there in the bloodstream of our culture that that might misread this. It's this whole kind of new agey idea that God is in everything. You know, you guys have heard this, kind of pantheistic, God is everywhere. And, and I, I'm, I'm a little afraid that somebody who's not doesn't follow Christ at all in the way we're talking about could read that verse and say, oh, yeah, that's true. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit's in everybody. There's a divine spark within all of us. There's, there's an energy that permeates us all and, and connects us to the universe. I mean, you've kind of heard this sort of thing. I remember the first time I was exposed to it, first time I really heard this, there was this guy who was telling me about it. This guy's name was um, Yoda. And uh, and Yoda called it the force. And, you know, it is between us and all living things, and it binds us. And I was like, oh. You know, and people first heard Yoda talking about the force in Star Wars, and we're like, are they talking about God? Is the force God? And we didn't really understand it, because I think at that time, you, you, you know, we, we hadn't really as maybe culturally been exposed as much to, to kind of Eastern ways of, un, of thinking about God. But, you know, what Yoda was talking about was was this idea that God is in everything. God is one. We are all, we'll all have the divine spark within. And if you want to find God out there, you just need to listen to the voice in your own heart because it's, you know, that whole thing. I, uh, another conversation I had in high school that kind of tipped me off to this idea that was emerging in our culture was I had a friend in high school and uh, he and I were out hiking one time and he bought into this whole sort of new age view of, of spirituality. And so I asked him, I said, well, what about Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? He said, Jesus is great. He I love Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was a man who shows us the way to find the divine within us. And so he's a model of that. And, but I never forget, my friend said this, but it didn't have to be Jesus of Nazareth. It could have been, he said, Joe from Toledo. Could be anybody. As long as you find the voice. And Jesus is simply one of those people who showed us how, how, to, how to find that and connect with that. All I wanted to say is, the only point I'm bringing this up is, Jesus is not talking about that at all. (laughs) That whole thing I just described is 100% not what Christ is talking about when he says the Holy Spirit is in you. That's all I'm trying to say. That's a very different thing, a very contrary thing to what Christ is talking about. In fact, let me prove it to you. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, The world cannot accept him, cannot receive him, Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? Because he lives with you and will be in you. So if he's with everybody, then everybody should know him. But not everybody knows him because he's not. So this is a different kind of thing Christ is talking about. So what does it mean then that the Holy Spirit is in us? Well, let me give you a different model. Okay, so the force, that's one model. thats It's not that. So what is it? Uh, here's a different model. It's a very biblical model. It's the model of the temple. So in the Bible, they are building temple. Actually, they started with the tabernacle. It was a tent. And they built this tent in the Old Testament. And then eventually, after the tent, they built the, the actual physical building, the, uh, the bricks and mortar building, the temple, right? And what happened? They built these temples to God and then... God's Spirit came and dwelt in the temple. Remember, the cloud would actually come down on the tent, and the cloud came down on the temple. God was in it. It's not that the bricks and mortar became God or that the bricks and mortar discovered that God was already in the created matter or something weird like that. It's just that God came and he dwelt in it. And it was holy and it was set apart to God because the Spirit was there. But do you remember, of course, Israel broke the covenant. And finally, as part of God's judgment, what happened? The glory Left the temple, and then the Babylonians came in and raised the temple because it wasn't the temple anymore. It was just a building because the Holy Spirit wasn't there. And so it's it's God inhabiting us. And when you look to the New Testament, the New Testament is filled with temple language and imagery. You know, the, the church is the temple. And when I say church, I don't mean this new building that we build. As much as I love this building, this is not the temple. I'm looking at the temple. Hopefully, by God's grace, you're looking at the temple. It's where His Holy Spirit dwells. It's the people themselves. And we always say that, the church is the people. But like, no, seriously, the church is the people and the church is the temple because the Holy Spirit indwells the people. He's in us. and So it's an awesome thought to think, wow, the Holy Spirit is in us. And Paul talks about this. The New Testament uses this language, this imagery throughout. We are... We are the fulfillment of the temple. He's in us. Boy, that's an encouraging thought. That's a whole sermon series. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in you? It's a convicting thought because I think, wow, well, that means whatever I do, the Holy Spirit's there. So I I don't want to sin against the Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. It's also a comforting thought because it means no matter how bad it is, the Holy Spirit is with me. You know? God is in me. He's with me if I'm in Christ. So if I'm going into Boston on that mind-numbing commute yet again and I just feel like I'm so alone, I'm just part of this big machine. And you know, No, no, no. If you have Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. You're a living stone going to that workplace where you work to be there in a light. It, it, it means that um, you know, if, if you're grieving this holiday season and you feel empty and alone, but if you have Christ, you're not alone. The Spirit is in you and He's with you. And, and if you're a kid and you're at home and and you hear your parents fighting in the other room and, and they're screaming and yelling and you just want to like cover your ears and pull out your hair and run out the door, and you think, ah, you know, what do I do? I just want you to know if you have Jesus, He's with you. He's in you. No one can take the Holy Spirit out of you. There's no surgery that anyone can do to remove the Holy Spirit. He's yours and He's in you. And if you're sick and, and and you don't know, you know, what's going to happen. He's in you. Nothing can take him away. And look how long he's in you. Don't you love this? Go back to verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor who will be with you. You say it. Wow. Forever. Are you sure, God? Are you sure? Oh, Donald Trump. That's what I was thinking of. You're fired. Are you sure forever? I'm such a screw up. You know, I, I'm, I'm like probably so many Christians down through the, the centuries who have read the stories of the disciples and have taken so much courage in the disciples. I, I love the disciples because I look at them and I'm like, wow, look at that group of clowns. And then I think, and Peter, Peter's the rock. Are you kidding me? <laughs> then I think, oh. Well, maybe there's room for me in this bunch. I, maybe I fit in with the disciples. All of these broken, unbelieving, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, shooting their mouths off, running away, denying the Lord. These disciples are just so fallible. And you'd think God would be done with them. And you think God would be done with us. And there are those days where you're like, God, you have to be done with me. The Holy Spirit is with me forever. No one can take him out. You can't get rid of him. If you're in Christ, you can't do it. (laughs) You can't get rid of the Holy Spirit once He's with you. Once you're born again, child of God, He's with you forever, forever, forever. He's with us. How? Why? Why is you know it's it's such a mystery? Okay. Well, then that brings us to our fourth observation, and I hope here with this fourth one to kind of tie everything together. Hopefully, we'll see if it works. But all right. So He's the Advocate. He's fighting for us. Well, how? In what way? Well, he's the other advocate. He's carrying on the work of Jesus. Well, how? Well, he's in us. Why would he stay in us forever? How is that possible? Okay, let's tie that all together with the fourth observation, which is that the Holy Spirit, what he does in us is he reminds us of the words of Christ and he pushes us forward in obedience to Christ. Look at verse 26. So what is the Spirit doing inside of us? Well, a lot of things. This isn't everything the Spirit does, but this is so key. Verse 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will what? Teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to be in us teaching us the words of Christ, sort of pushing us on in our, our relationship with the Lord teaching us, reminding us. Certainly that had special meaning for the disciples because they were the ones who were actually going to write down scriptures and remember the words of the Lord. But it's true for all of us as Christians. The Holy Spirit teaches us and instructs us. And He's the one who's teaching us the, the commands so that we can keep the commands and love the Lord. This is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. God said He would do this, and He sent the Holy Spirit to do it. Do this. Put a bookmark here in John 14... I want to show you this prophecy. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel 36. Page 857 857 in the Pew Bible. Ezekiel 36. Here's a prophecy about the new covenant. A prophecy about what God would do in the future. Ezekiel 36.25. Page 857. Here's the prophecy about the Holy Spirit. That's now being fulfilled in Christ in the new covenant. So he says in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Isn't that what Jesus did? He forgave us. He cleansed us from our impurities. But look what else he does. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. I love this. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so he's pushing us through the Spirit. So in the old covenant, they had the law of God. They had the Ten Commandments. But they didn't have a changed heart. So they broke the law, except for a remnant. The, The nation as a whole broke the law. And that's why God rejected them. And that's why the glory left the temple. But in the new covenant... God has not only given us the law of Christ, love one another, but he's also put the Holy Spirit in us, I love it, to move us to keep the law, to to do that. The Holy Spirit is teaching us and reminding us of God's word and and pushing us. There was a a sister who was baptized here last Sunday evening. We had our baptism service. I hope you were there for that. It was awesome. But uh, one of the ladies who was baptized was telling how she came to faith three years ago and, um, and just has now eventually got connected to a local church here. But she says for those first three years, she, I loved her line, she goes, I was homeschooled by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, uh, we're, Christians are supposed to be in churches, but God can still teach through His Word. He, His Holy Spirit is teaching us and instructing us. And so that's what, that's what Jesus is saying here, that the Holy Spirit is going to, to teach us and remind us of His Word. So, okay, so let's connect all the dots Jesus Christ has died and rose again, risen again, to forgive our sins so we could be in a relationship with him. But now, in this relationship with him, my task is to love and obey Him, which I'm not so great at. I'm getting better, but i I fail at that a lot, and even when i'm loving and obeying it's still imperfect, and it's like an alloy of you know of, of sin and obedience. It's just so tough there's always this indwelling sin. But so that I don't fall away like Israel did, He has also put His Holy Spirit in me. And the Holy Spirit is, is like lifting me and pushing me and helping me and dragging me and hauling me forward. And when I'm forgetting, He's reminding me and He's bringing me back. You know, it's, it's a very active salvation. You know, we talk about grace. An amazing grace. And I think sometimes we can can be sort of a sentimental idea for us you know grace grace is not a sentimental notion it is a muscular power from the throne of god at work in our lives you know god god is not like you know on some dating website like please believe in me you know and there's buddha there's jesus there's you know oh which one will i date you know it's not like that And God's like, please believe in me. Please, I want another follower. That's not how it is. He he says, I choose you. Before the foundation of the world, I choose you by my own will and for my own glory. And I send Jesus to die for you. And then I send the Holy Spirit to give you a new heart. And then I'm grabbing you and I'm hauling you to glory. That's what it's like. God's not sitting back like, I hope they believe. (laughs) We're not going to believe. We're we're just too lost in darkness. He grabs us. It's a muscular grace. It's a powerful grace. It is an irresistible grace. And he sends his spirit within us. And even now as a Christian, you know, I I still have this ADD spirituality. And I'm, you know, wandering away. Nope, you're going. You know, but God, I want to go back. Nope, you're going. (laughs) And he just keeps hauling me and pulling me. And despite all of my sin and weaknesses and my inconsistencies, he has died for me. He's advocating for me. He's put his spirit in me. And it is grace that's just carrying me to heaven. You know, to be a Christian is like surfing a 200-foot tsunami toward the beaches of eternal life. Just, you know. I'm getting off this surfboard. Forget it. (laughs) I'm back on the surfboard. How did I get here? You're going. You're mine. I saved you. You know, everyone for whom Christ died, Christ will bring to glory. He never fails. God doesn't fail. His purposes are never thwarted. And he's put his spirit in us to carry us there. So we need the Holy Spirit. That's how much God loves you. God loves you despite everything that you would do to resist his love. It's, it's crazy. It's awesome. I, uh, I had a weird experience this week. Um, on Friday, I had a very, like, bifurcated experience. Something really awesome and something really terrible. So the, the great thing was I, uh, I went to see The Hobbit. <sighs> so good, so good. You knew I was going to talk about it. I could not. But, um, but, you know, I love The Hobbit. The Hobbit did something very magical for me that doesn't happen to me a lot these days. It, I, I, for a couple hours, I, I was transported to a, a, a state of childlike wonder where I, was, I felt like just a little kid. I was sitting there watching a the movie eating popcorn. I'm like, ah! you know, and... <laughs> You know, stuff would happen, I'd be like, to my wife, I, I'm, I'm annoying to go to a movie with because I'm a talker and a looker. I'm always like, look, 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 you know, and it's like, I'm trying to watch the movie. And I'm like, no, did you see that? Of course I saw it. So, uh, you know, so I, I was just like, in wonder, I was like, this is such a magical story. The artistry of that movie is so powerful. And, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, I'm 41 now, and um, the response is, wow, you don't look 41. So, but anyway, I'm 41, <laughs> and... And you know, when you're 41 you or older, You, you, by this point, you've seen enough of the world that it's easy to be jaded, cynical, sarcastic, unbelieving, and to lose the capacity for childlike wonder. It's easy to lose the capacity for wonder. Okay, so that's going on. I'm like, wow. As on my cell phone, the news is coming in about Connecticut. And I'm like, this is... But this is the real world. That's the fantasy world. This is the real world where 20 children are killed and where, you know, uh, wow, where there was a shooting at the movie theater in Colorado before and where there's a civil war in Syria and, you know, where 1 million plus American children will never go to school this year because they were killed in the womb. This is an evil world. It, it is pervasive. You can't escape it. So I'm like, uh, you know, it's, so is, is the Hobbit, I mean, is, is that really just, is just kind of make-believe is, you know, hope in, in something greater, is that just sort of a narcotic that we take through arts or through religion to kind of make ourselves cope with the fact that this world really is just sort of a moral cesspool that we're all trying to survive or is it real you know and, and i just want to tell you that there is something to hope in and it's so much greater than elves and dwarves and hobbits and fun stories that there is another force at work in the world a real one not just a, a thing for our minds that god has invaded history in the person of jesus the kingdom of god has broken through the enemy lines this is not just a closed system of entropy chaos and evil it has been ruptured and entered forcefully by God's kingdom. And Christ has come, and he's, and he's dealt with the root problem. He's died for our sins, and he rose again. And he's still, the, the kingdom is still coming in. It hasn't stopped. Just because he left, the Holy Spirit is coming in. But the thing is, it's, it's quiet. It's not a big, flashy thing. you know. The, the work of the Spirit, it, it is very hobbity. It's small, it's quiet, you know? It's not on the news, never will be. Don't look for it there. But it's, it's one person here, it's another person there. It's a life there as the Holy Spirit is coming in, giving new hearts, putting love for Jesus where there was love for the world before. And one by one, it's like, shh, Jesus is building his kingdom in this world. And it's not going to be in our faces, but it's happening. And it's at work. And it's still at work. And if you're a Christian, you know this and you feel this. And I guess my concern this morning is that I'm concerned for those of us here, including myself. Okay, that's all of us. Just That we we not develop calloused, hard, cynical, sarcastic, bitter, resentful shells to the work of God. There's so much that could make us that way. But we need to realize that there is a kingdom at work. And don't think that because God's doing it quietly that it's less powerful than this world. He's doing it quietly because if He did it any louder, this world would just be gone. He is graciously moving His power into this world. And someday Christ will come back. And it will, He will then set all things right and wipe every tear away. There'll be no more death or mourning or pain. So may you not have, and may I not have, a hardened, cynical heart. May God enable us to retain a sense of wonder, not just at fantasy stories, but at Him and His kingdom that's at work in the world. May God give us grace to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for Your powerful Holy Spirit, to do that muscular yet gentle work of hauling us into the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who does not know you, that your spirit would right now be just melting that hard, icy exterior that has been built up because of pain from the world and our own sinful responses. And Lord, may you give new hearts. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are Christians, that we might not harden our hearts, but that you might continue to call us to believe. And, and to, to live for you, Lord. And help us, Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit, not to grieve your Holy Spirit. Help us to just go with, the, go with the Spirit. It's so much easier that way. So, Lord, help us to walk with you. We love you. And we do pray for the people in Connecticut this morning, Lord. We just lift up. Lord, we lift up every mom and dad who will not have a child at the Christmas feast this year, Lord. We, we just pray for them. And Lord, we pray, for, we pray for those families. We lift up our own sister in our church, Kristen Marsico, whose, uh, whose sister-in-law was the only shooting survivor. And as she goes down there right now, Lord, we pray be with her. And God, be with all those pastors who have fuller churches this morning in Connecticut to boldly preach the gospel. Lord, may there be some fruit from this awful tragedy. And we thank you, Lord, that this is not a problem for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.